The following episode of the 9pm edict contains strong language, diseases, young people fucking like rabbits, William Shatner, and even cake. Saturday, the 27th of August, 2022, the winter series concludes with another happy, happy, joy, joy update on the pandemics. And they're plural now, yes, with special guest, infectious diseases physician and all-round geek, Dr. Trent Yarwood. In this episode, uh, we obviously spend a lot of time talking about the COVID. I don't know that there's necessarily even actually a way that we could achieve absolute COVID zero. But we also discussed the sexual proclivities of backpackers. A moderately small number of backpackers fuck like bunnies in the dorms and that that brings the average up. And we hear about something you may never have considered before. The global Illuminati STI panel that officially decrees that something is in the sexually transmitted box versus the not sexually transmitted box. Hello, I'm Stilgarian. This is the 9pm Infectious Backpacker Sex Study with Dr. Trent Yarwood. Dr. Trent Yarwood, thank you again for joining us. Thank you very much, Still. It's great to be back, although I have to say it would be nicer to be back if we could talk about something else other than the forever plague, but, you know... Well, we do have a new plague. Let's hear about that. World Health Organization has this morning elevated the level of concern over monkeypox. I have decided that the global monkeypox outbreak represents a public health emergency of international concern. The monkeypox virus is spreading in Melbourne in the first widespread example of local transmission since the global outbreak began. 20 people have been infected in the past two weeks as vaccine stocks remain low. New South Wales Health is urging the community to be vigilant following the first case of locally acquired monkeypox in New South Wales. There have been a total of 42 cases of the virus in New South Wales. Monkeypox has been transmitted uh, among gay and bisexual men, um, mostly in the north Northern Hemisphere and it's been transmitted through sexual contact and as you've said we've got 42 cases here uh, in New South Wales where I am but we've actually got uh, 89 cases in Australia and each jurisdiction has recorded cases of monkeypox. The final voice there was Heath Painter. Now he's Deputy CEO of the Australian Federation of AIDS Organisations of FAO from just a few days ago 22nd of August. I'll come back to that point in a minute but first um it's in melbourne it's in sydney as we heard time to panic no oh i i was we we were having uh, a meeting at work today where we were spending a bit of time talking about monkeypox or mpxv as it's been renamed now apparently um mm. and it's really important to keep in perspective there's fewer than 100 cases in Australia so far. Um, there's maybe a bit of suggestion that the numbers in Europe are starting to decline. Hard to say, though. Um, mm. Things are still going crazy in America because America. Um, mm-hmm. But, look, really, no, I don't think so. I think it's certainly something that the general public should be very not worried about because... It, 
it's taken quite a while to settle on this point, but we really think that at the moment it's behaving like a sexually transmitted infection. And so if you don't want to get monkeypox, don't have sex with someone who's got monkeypox. And it's pretty obvious when they do, really, isn't it? Not always. Or is it? So there, there is a there is an asymptomatic sort of period where they're infectious beforehand. So you can't always tell, obviously. But um, uh, you know, like unlike a lot of other diseases, it has the advantage of having an obvious sign of being infectious. You know, the you're infectious from a couple of days before the lesions appear until after the sort of the scabs fall off and the and the lesions are healed, which can take quite a while because I. You know, I'm sure people will have seen the gory photos on the internet and the, the oh, pops can be quite, quite large. Yeah. I mean, for those of you who haven't seen them, I should say if you've ever had something like chicken pox or shingles, basically the same thing, and and the pox for them is what, you know, a couple of millimetres across, three or four, maybe five millimetres across, and these things are like a centimetre across, or I saw someone whose whole that bulbous bit at the bottom of the nose had turned into one giant, pussy, festering crater. So, we, we prefer so that the term, was attractive. We prefer the term purulent still. Pussy is a cat. Purulent means filled with pus. <laughs> or, oh, well, yeah, all right. All right. But this raises – no, that doesn't raise a point. The point is raised by a slightly, uh, a slightly um, previous point – Sexually transmitted infection, STI. I mean, it is because people are currently transmitting it while they're having sex. But there's a lot of there's a lot of public health and public health messaging implications from calling something an STI. And especially if it's the gay and bisexual communities because suddenly it becomes, you know, a faggot's disease and no one else cares. Um, is that being a risk at the moment? Well, first of all, I'll go back to the first question. How how does something become an STI? Uh, is that an official thing? Is there a... Look, there, there isn't the global Illuminati STI panel that officially decrees that something is in the sexually transmitted box versus the not sexually transmitted box. But, mm. um, uh, you know, there's a lot of discussion by various infection and public health people as to you know as to what it is and and what it does and so look you're you're right it it, there's been an enormous amount of discussion about this and i think in some ways it shows that we did learn some lessons from the 1980s where you know the the gay plague was on the front page of the paper and there was all sorts of terrible things done to people who were even suspected of being gay Mm. um and so now, Brackets, and which still continues uh, and, in and certain parts of the world, indeed, indeed. And so, people have been almost sort of paralysed by deciding how they should respond to monkeypox. So there's been sort of, on the one hand, we don't want to make it a, a gay man's disease um, because that will be stigmatising. But on the other hand, we want to make it clear that the population who's most at risk at the moment are gay and bisexual men. Um, I haven't, you know, I'm not across all of the exact figures in Australia right to the minute, but I there have been uh, 
local transmissions in Australia, so not everybody yes. who's got monkeypox has come back from overseas. But my understanding at the moment is that um, all of the cases are in gay or bisexual men in Australia. And uh, the numbers, uh, uh, the report I played before was from a few days ago, probably still less than 200 in total. Uh, But we also saw pictures of a gym going past and obviously uh, being sweaty while shedding virus from your skin uh, or or, uh, lesions in your skin is very much a gym thing as well as a sex thing, as well as a working hard sort of thing. Yeah, there's... uh, I haven't seen the primary studies about this, so this is hearsay, but we were talking about it at the meeting today. So there, you you'll probably, you may or may not be aware there was the big World AIDS Conference relatively recently in Canada. Yeah, just a few weeks ago. Yeah, and um, the Canadian government were being great and, you know, partially because uh, a lot of people living with HIV go to the conferences. Um, you know, it's a very sort of community-engaged sort of conference. Mm. And so the Canadian government were doing pop-up monkey pox vaccination clinics, which was, you know, a bit oh, of okay. PR, a bit of PR and a bit of, uh, you know, vaccinating the at-risk people. But um, look, you know, if I can draw a broad brush stereotype as um, sometimes gay men are want to do, there were some big dance parties in, in Montreal around the time of the, con- the conference. <laughs> of course there were. Yeah. And um, there were a large number of, of People, I'm sure there were some heterosexual people there. There were a large number of lesbians and and you know various people who were partying hard. Uh, many of them got COVID, uh, but the particularly I guess interesting figure about this whole sort of gym transmission thing is that none of the lesbians got monkeypox. Right, and lesbians at a dance party probably didn't have sex with a lot of the gay men. Yeah, but they, they, prob- they probably are getting as sweaty as everyone else and on dancing the dance floor. with them and doing all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So there's been, I think, COVID has been very bad for people's brains. And, you know, everyone's talking about, oh, well, you can find monkeypox virus on a throat swab if you do it in that pre symptomatic incubation period. Therefore, it spreads just like COVID. And I, <coughs> I saw. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, even saw... even me as a non non doctor non medical expert go no that's not how logic works indeed indeed and I saw a thing on Twitter yesterday so people are worried about what the, what we call fomite spread which is transmission via an inanimate object so you know your your pox crumbs drop onto the sheets in the bed that you've been having sex with someone that you probably have given monkeypox to and that those crumbs might contain some virus. Um, they might contain some viral fragments, some viral DNA that we can find on our testing. But someone went combing through hotel bed sheets uh, and found that there was a couple of samples that had live monkeypox virus on the sheets. So therefore, everybody who is now a hotel stayer is at risk of getting monkeypox because, ah, plague. Uh-huh. Um, but it's... It's just not. We, we had this with COVID. We had this with HIV AIDS. We had this with every new disease. And I guess people are scared because these have been scary diseases. Exactly. And look, I think with monkeypox, you know, like like I said in one of the other times that I've been on the podcast, so um, that uh, plague psychology is really interesting. And the thing about monkeypox particularly and smallpox is that you you are literally poxy. You have yeah. visible lesions, you know. If well, I did love your fr- your your words before pox crumbs in bed. <laughs> you know, it's 
You should hear the tab- the, the discussion around our tea room tables. I, I'm working most, <laughs> mostly at a sexual health clinic at the moment. So, I remember working for the AIDS Council of South Australia when I went to uh, morning tea quite often with the Sex Workers Outreach Project. And uh, again, the, the morning tea discussions were just grim, <laughs> very down-to-earth. And the woman who ran that particular project had above her desk a much enlarged photograph of a, of a vulva infected with quite an advanced stage of gonorrhea mm-hmm. at, at, mm-hmm. at about 40, 50 centimetres high. Yep. So, Definitely. yeah, it, I'm you know, trying to enjoy my tea and scones <laughs> with this enormous infected lady part. So it's we not get, attractive. It's <laughs> depends on your point of view, I guess. Um, we not not when not no, when no, it's no. not when it's got oh Trent. Um, <laughs> we we get our junior doctors. They they do relatively short rotations in sexual health because it's not really sort of a core part of the junior doctor curriculum. But when when they're finished their five week term with us on their last day, that they, they are required to bake an appropriately sexually health themed cake. Mine balls. <laughs> uh, we 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 used to have a photo the the cake wall with all these like laminated photos of the cakes in the in the tea room just to you know to make sure that they they knew sort of the standard that we were expecting. All right. Well, um, to come back to yes, sorry, that sexual was, got- health point and and AFAIA, the Australian Federation of AIDS Organisations. I find it interesting and also appropriate that they're being part of the messaging because, of course. HIV-AIDS was very much a thing out of the gay communities and intravenous drug users and sex workers and blah, 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 blah. But we have this, gosh, coming up to 40-year-old establishment of community organisations that know, ah, yes, we know how to package this messaging. We know how to do the surveys of people about their sexual activity. I noticed on Twitter just before we started recording this that uh, UNSW, uh, in conjunction with a couple of community organisations, is already out there asking gay men whether they're going to change their habits or whether they're worried and what their fear levels are and all of that to kind of gauge also their level of understanding so do they know what to look out for and all that to inform the messaging in a way these the these communities and these organizations are, are some of the best equipped of any health organization to get the messaging out there because they're so solid absolutely and that's one of the like australia really led the world in our response to hiv and that was mm. because there was so much involvement of the community at the time in the 80s you know the, the you can argue that they didn't do everything well like those stupid grim reaper ads oh, that i'm sure everybody I, remembers I think, I think we've talked about that before Mm-mm. that caused real problems but- it did it did but the involvement of the the gay community from early in the AIDS outbreak is mm. why our response was so good. And, you know, it's it very much has sort of led into the what we consider to be a key part of our public health response now, which is is the, the same as, as Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people talk about, you know, nothing, nothing about us without us. Yes. Um, and uh, so I should really praise our Indigenous friends too for 
for doing some fantastic health outreach on mm. fuck all money. Mm. Exactly. Exactly. So short answer there, don't panic about monkeypox. As, look, as we said last time, I think COVID has broken everybody's brain. I think there's a, a proportion of people on the internet who, despite the fact that they adamantly maintain that, that the only acceptable number of new COVID infections is zero, have almost moved on from COVID a little bit and are now panicking about monkeypox when there really isn't anything for the general community to be concerned about. And well, just to highlight, I guess, sorry, to, just to remind people that there's been an outbreak of monkeypox in Western Africa that's been going on for years. Nobody gave a mm. shit about it then, but now that it's well, infected, we know now that why it's infecting that white people. Yes. Uh, <sighs> yes. Nothing ever changes, does it? Mm-hmm. It does not. Trent, we did mention the COVID there, uh, but, uh, you know, it's still going. Have you had it, by the way? Have you had the COVID? I have, I have. Um, I did not acquire COVID from work. I acquired COVID from, oh, my, okay. from my delightful son. Um, oh, okay. My, my yeah. theory is that they um, had a movie afternoon in the last week of term one. This year, they were all sitting around in the in the school hall watching a movie because it was the end of term, and you know, it's like Friday afternoon in the office kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And um, then two days later, he got sick, and then two days after that, I got sick. So yeah, that seems to be a thing. I had it back in April. Uh, again, I, I gave it a poor review. No stars. Don't get zero it. stars. Yeah. Zero stars. But it is still with us, and indeed, here's a report from Seven News. Uh, when's this? Twentieth uh, of August, uh, last weekend. For Peter Thompson, every day is a struggle. Diagnosed with COVID in 2020, he's still battling. It's just over two years now, and I've still got no taste or smell. He's one of half a million Australians with long COVID. His symptoms so severe, doctors have told him another bout of the virus could kill him. It's only got to take one person to have it. And, um, you know, and, and I'm, I'm gone. Fears made even worse by the latest figures, showing Australia is rapidly closing in on 10 million COVID cases. More than 13,000 have died since the start of the pandemic. What the numbers say is we're simply not winning. The virus is winning. Warning, as we emerge from the third and worst wave this year, it's time to change the way we think about COVID. We haven't quite grasped the fact that having lots of virus in our community is bad. Now, that last voice was Professor Brendan Crabb. He's from the Burnett Institute. We may come back to his specific point in a moment. But this report is like so many that are up one end of the the spectrum. We have a disaster again. At the other end of the spectrum, we've got uh, Premier of New South Wales, Dom Perrottet, saying we should shorten the time that people spend in isolation after a positive test uh, from seven days to five days. I'm assuming reality is somewhere between those two extremes because, again, we've got people saying, oh, my fucking God, you should all be wearing masks to... Why are you all wearing masks? We've got all these cases and so few people are dying, etc., etc. Yes, it is a very difficult issue and I think mm. it's not it's not something that is easily resolved and you know 
the internet and broadcast journalism doesn't encourage resolution because it is it presents polarized opinions butting heads with each other as a as a way of generating clicks, doesn't it? Or you know, mm. eyeballs on screen. So, look, it's fair to say that. Um, Brendan Crabb is down the COVID, more down towards the COVID zero end of the scale than I am. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I guess. And Raina McIntyre from UNSW is again down that end. She's uh, one of the others at that end of the spectrum who's quoted mm-hmm. a lot in the media. Someone. Um, Someone on, on Twitter proposed. I can't remember if it was if it was called the Door McIntyre scale with Greg Door from um, the Kirby uh, from St Vincent's at one end and Raina McIntyre at the other as to like the spectrum of, of sort of COVID positions. But um, you know, people like Greg or Peter Collignon from ANU would be sort of down the the more. Well, I, I'm not going to say let it rip because no nobody is actually oh, saying no let it rip. no no. We we vaccinated 95 mm. percent of the population or whatever it is. That's hardly letting it rip. Grumble, so, grumble, grumble. Okay, I thought we'd be on the same page at least about that phrase. Yeah. Um, I, I guess as someone who works in infection, I, I have a few thoughts. Um, mm-hmm. in 29- and we have to say that's in infection but not in public health and not in uh, I, I have worked the in economics of how well. a society runs. Oh, you have – I should say, yes, you have worked in public health. Um uh, so in 2019, we didn't shut the world down uh, every winter because of influenza, and more. Uh, you know, back when it wasn't monkeypox in Western Africa, it was Ebola that we were worried about. Um, oh yes, I, I was fond of telling people that more people die of the flu each year in America than have ever died of Ebola in the history of the disease since it, it came to be in the in the 70s. I think it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, people like me who work in hospitals would forever go around saying to people, well, we need to put this person who has a cough and a runny nose and a sore throat and, you know, symptoms of a viral respiratory tract infection in isolation because they clearly have an acute respiratory virus. And we were told by people, including some of the people who are now very aggressive COVID zeroers, uh, that we can't do that. It's not practical to put everybody who comes in with a bit of a cough and a sniffle and needs hospitalisation in a single room because we just don't have that many single rooms and it's just a cold. It's not that big a deal. What are you talking about? But somehow now, because COVID is everywhere, it's completely different. And it's very strange to me that, and, you know, we already see that even the people who were very aggressively COVID zero at the start of the pandemic are now saying to us, well, look, you know, can't we relax these restrictions a little bit because, you know, we've, we've gone from we need to cancel all surgery on everybody all the time because, it, you know, we're manipulating their airway and we might be exposed to COVID in the operating theatre to can we not do all this COVID stuff because it's making our surgical lists take too long and we're not getting mm. through as many, as many cases. And so... Nothing has actually changed over that time except people's risk appetite. <laughs> a comparison, I, I think, is uh, it's, it's a cliche, but deaths on the road due to car accidents. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not that long ago where Australia would have 1,500 deaths a year. 
And now since then, we've had everything from random breath testing uh, to seatbelts to massive redesigns of the cars themselves, redesigns uh, and re-engineering of the roads, of traffic signage or whatever. And it's still not happy, but it's, you know, it's a lot, lot less. And in the housekeeping bit, I'll throw in what the actual current numbers are. Young folk won't believe the kind of numbers that we found perfectly acceptable just a generation or two ago. And yet that doesn't help us find our happy point on this scale, does it? Uh, because it no. the bloke in that story... Now, I should say, when you see him in, in the visuals for that story, he is a man uh, in a wheelchair. I don't know whether he's in the wheelchair because of the long COVID or that was a, from beforehand... But he's also um, not a slim fellow. Mm. Um, and, uh, again, that, that could well relate to other medical conditions and whatever. It's, it's certainly, it, it certainly doesn't fit into the, well, you're just a fat slob category. He's, he's a bloke who has a number of medical problems. But I think his, his story is correct. If he, if he gets it again, he might be dead. But then at the same time... There's someone I know, and you know the family in question, where someone who's severely immunocompromised has now had COVID for the third time, uh, the last two despite having four vaccinations, and the last two required helicopter to a nearby large hospital and into the intensive care unit. And yet yes. they live, yep. despite all that. So, I mean, we don't want to be sending the helicopters out every second week, but... We are doing better at it, remarkably better at it. Absolutely, absolutely. And, uh, you know, there's all sorts of different, I guess, different perspectives that you can take on this. So, obviously, we all want to prevent individual disease. You know, we don't want mm. bad outcomes like immunosuppressed people getting severe COVID and having to go to ICU. We don't want mm. that. Nobody wants that. Um, we don't want a very, very large number of people getting milder but still requiring hospital COVID so the hospitals are full of COVID and then if you have your heart attack, you can't get sorted out because there's no beds and because all the mm. cardiologists are off sick because of all of the, all of the COVID in the hospital. Mm. We, don't want, we don't want that either. And I've also got a bit of a whinge, like everywhere else that runs taxis up in the Blue Mountains. There are only a certain number of – like there's a certain number of taxis available for drivers to drive – but they can't get the drivers to drive them. You know, they're, they're managing to get about 60 to 70% of the vehicles on the road at any one time, mm. which has a knock-on effect. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so productivity. And- I, I don't know that there's necessarily even actually a way that we could achieve absolute COVID zero, like, you know, people like Brendan Crabb and, and you know, Raina McIntyre and people seem to want. Uh, but if... I was in charge of the world and I wanted to engineer a situation where COVID was as close to zero as humanly possible. Everyone would work from home. All kids would go to school remotely. Only essential workers would be allowed out of their house. They would have to wear, you know, full PPE and, um, you know, have multiple tests every day. And, uh, you know, we could achieve something near COVID zero by making the world grind to an almost complete halt. Yeah. Yeah. Is Is that what we want? It does not sound attractive. And, and and in a sense, we don't wrap the world up in that level of safety. We still let people go bungee jumping, despite the fact that every now and then someone goes face down 
into the ground at a la- at a high speed. Oh, we do still is, have smoking. The smoke, best example smoking, I can think of. Yes. If if it wasn't for the fact that the government would collapse without cigarette excise revenue, that smoking has no legitimate useful function at all. But then at the same time, you have a drink in front of you as we're recording. I have a drink in front of me as I'm recording. There's that other argument which says alcohol beyond a certain level causes these problems. We certainly know the effects that alcohol has on society, but it also performs an important social function as anthropologists and other people will tell you that to process transitions in life, you know, death, marriages, etc., divorces, uh, whatever, then, then something to help your brain knock itself into a new state has been an important part of our social rituals. Indeed, yeah. And I've been fond of saying on Twitter a number of times, people need to remember that this is a pandemic. Pandemic means pandemos all of the people. Everyone's yeah. everyone's going to get COVID pretty much. And we don't, you know, there's people like the aforementioned immunosuppressed person who we'd very much like not to get COVID. But mm-hmm. statistically, it is very likely, almost certain, in fact, that you are going to get COVID. Yeah. Well, the numbers show that 10 million was the number we just heard. There's only 26 million people in Australia. All right. Some of those are multiple cases. I remember one of the publicans at a regular I went to and said, I haven't seen you lately. Oh, I had the COVID and his reaction was, oh, first time? Yeah, okay, I see where we're going here. He's, it's, and it's just something he factors into his business. We probably did that in the past. People soldiered on with colds, not the flu, because if really was the flu, they wouldn't be coming to work. They'd be sick as a dog in bed. But all of that. I I saw an article online yesterday where some business person was complaining that our pandemic response, which you will recall is actually what the business lobby wanted. They wanted us to open back up because they weren't getting enough real estate dollars for their inner city offices. Um, Yes. Business was grinding to a halt because the rates of absenteeism were too high and they didn't have enough workers. So Mm. on the one hand, you know, suck it up. You were the one who was lobbying Scott Morrison for for the economy, stupid. Uh, Number two, oh, well, our our rates of absenteeism are double what they were three years ago. Well, maybe maybe just the rates of absenteeism three years ago were too low because people did Mm. soldier on. And we know it's been a huge issue during COVID that people – casual workers, you know, people with insecure work, people who don't have sick leave, uh, couldn't take time off. But now that's much more normalised. You know, people stay home when they're sick because that's what we've been doing for a couple of years with the pandemic. But uh, sadly, I don't think it's going to take very long to to go back to the to the codrill mentality. <laughs> you're, you're probably right, but I did notice that I last week, I, I had a lingering kind of, oh, I'm still a bit sinusy. Why is this happening? The rat's still showing negative, but I don't trust the rat. But this week I happen to be just down the road from a major public hospital, so fuck it. I can, I'm can. i in Australia. We have a health system. I can pop down there and the nurses are lovely and, and I'm getting a PCR test result 10 hours later or something. It was really quite yeah. efficient. I'm going to stop doing that at some point because yeah. I'm going to get I'm going to get 
sick of shoving the sticks up my nose. Exactly, exactly. And the thing that we argue you know, as hospital infection doctors is that it doesn't matter what your COVID result is. If you're sick enough to come into hospital and you're coughing and sneezing, it doesn't matter whether you've got COVID or you've got something else. We, we don't want you in a four-bed ward coughing all over the other three patients. It yeah. doesn't, ma- doesn't matter what the name of the virus is. <laughs> That's true. And this has happened forever when you don't even know what it is, you yep, know, um, exactly. because... Because as my GP often says, you know, when I ask what's wrong with me, he just says, fuck knows. (laughs) It's just, yeah, if it gets worse, go to hospital kind of thing. I will just follow up what you were saying about the long COVID stuff, though. There's been some shockingly shockingly bad thinking about long COVID. Um, Like people who uh, maybe know a little bit about maths and not necessarily a lot about other things saying, well, if pe- people can keep getting reinfected with COVID and if we model what the different s- scenario outcomes oh, are for, no for 5%, 5% of people get long COVID or 10% or 15% or 30% because some of the studies said as high as 30%. And eventually uh, 5,000% of the Australian population will have long COVID if you let the, yeah. the, you know, if you let the numbers run long enough. You go, mm, actually, it doesn't work like that. Do you, do you know anyone who's legit got long COVID, like more than three months serious symptoms? I mean, I don't, but, you know, I don't, don't have that many much. friends. <laughs> you know, um, well, yes, exactly. Whereas I do know people who've had multiple COVIDs and really severe um, uh, bouts of it, et cetera. No, that's, that's an important point. I've got um, one friend who said they had some symptoms after about a month, but that's still mm-hmm. not really meeting the definition for long COVID. But on that, and I'll come back to the other questions. I know you can you're, you're eager to answer right there <laughs> on the running sheet, but I I will play another clip. Um, SBS did a video. This goes back a month. It's the 13th of July. So what's that? Nearly six weeks ago, but it had the title: "Could you get COVID nineteen once a month?" In, in theory, you could get COVID once a month, although it'd be highly unlikely. This is one of those annoying news videos where all the words come up on screen and you have to read them. There is now strong evidence that you can get reinfected earlier than what we had previously seen to be the case. Omicron BA4 and BA5 uh, can reinfect within four weeks. It's too early in this particular phase of the pandemic to know just how many times um, one could get reinfected. So most people would get at least a month and potentially two or three months of reasonable immunity against infection. But the trouble now is that these new subvariants of Omicron are brilliant at escaping immunity. The governments, they're worried about reinfection rates. They're concerned that hospitals are now starting to get full up. The glimmer of hope on the horizon are those next generation vaccines that target Omicron that might give us um, a, a better degree of protection against uh, reinfection. Now, all that's good. You can look at the video. You'll have to find out who those people are. Links in the podcast website, blah, blah, blah. You listen to this podcast. You know all these things. Although I should say, sorry, if you don't, hello, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Hope you enjoy the conversation. They say, could you get COVID once a month? And I'm thinking, sure, and every kid gets the common cold six times a year. What's your point? 
that's actually a little bit different because the syndrome that we call the common cold is actually caused by a whole lot of different viruses. That's true. Whereas, you know, COVID reinfection is testing positive for coronavirus on subsequent occasions. So, um, yeah, it's, it's not And exactly- if, we do, if I can drop some, I can, I can sound clever. Most common colds are a rhinovirus, but some are coronavirus. Is there's a third one? Is there a third category? Uh, no. Look, there, oh, there's there's other viruses that cause that syndrome. We just lump any vague collection of those symptoms as oh, I've got a cold. Even the unless more you're severe, a man, and then you say yeah, I've got a flu. Man, well, even the more severe end of the spectrum. So people, you know, people who present with influenza type symptoms, you know, muscle aches and rigors, and you know, like the the proper flu. Right, rigors. Um, uh, when you're shaking, shaking chills where your teeth are chattering. Oh, and you... yeah. Yeah, that's not fun. No. Um, we have a name for that, which is influenza-like illness, and there's lots of oh, okay. There's lots of illnesses that cause influenza-like illness that aren't influenza. Fair enough. But um, back so, to the multiple times a year number, COVID every month. So that is actually what the public health guidelines in Australia show. That earlier on in the pandemic, they they were a bit longer. They, were, they used to say three months, and then it sort of got shortened when um, the Omicron variants came out because it was thought that the immunity was a bit less sort of cross protective. And so, if you'd had Delta, you were more likely to be able to get Omicron earlier. Whereas now, the with Omicron, the you know, the public health case definition, if you like, is if you have a positive test sort of shorter than 28 days, it's potentially still a hangover from the previous illness. Whereas if it's later than 28 days, it's defined as a reinfection. Uh, And I saw a thing, this is the technical term, I saw a thing on the internet that that a kind of revert to positive test about one week after the negative test is actually kind of quite a common thing now. Particularly in people who have been taking the antivirals because the um, the theory is that you, you oh. go on the you go on the antiviral medication, it suppresses the virus really aggressively. The antiviral course is quite short, it's only about five days. And so there's a sort of a rebound syndrome. So people have their five days oh. of medication then they start feeling lousy after they come off it because the medication goes away and the virus bounces back a little bit. Right. Now right. There's nothing magical, of course, about 28 days. So, you know, you make antibodies against the virus. The virus, you know, the antibodies aren't completely effective at stopping you from getting reinfected, but you have lots of antibodies immediately after you get infection and then they gradually tail away. Um, And there isn't anything particularly magical about 28 days versus 29 days. It's just that the antibody levels tend to be lower. Some people can get it a bit earlier than that maybe, but most people are going to have a longer duration of immunity. So it, it's really like the, the whole sort of discussion about droplet versus airborne transmission with coronavirus you know, back a year ago. Just because you could theoretically get COVID every month doesn't mean it's at all likely or that everybody will. And these numerical things like that, likelihood comes back to the whole mask debate. You know, and I, I, I have not yet had someone come up to me and say, why are you wearing a mask? You don't have to. But in my circumstance, with the people we've mentioned before, I think, well, it it's no effort on my part, and even if it only does a 5 or 10% difference in the overall thing, fuck it, why, why not? 
Yep. And if someone else doesn't want to, whatever, you know, if for whatever reason this is a drama for you or as I was just at a two-day conference and I'm in the same rooms with the same people for two solid days, it's kind of pointless wearing a mask for 10% of that. Mm. Then I yeah. won't bother. Absolutely. So I, you know, I'm not in favour of reintroducing mask mandates, but I certainly think that masks have some effect and, uh, you know, should people wear them? Yeah, probably. Should we fine people for not wearing them? No, probably not, because we know that overwhelmingly the people who get fined for not wearing masks are culturally and linguistically diverse people or First mm. Nations people from Western mm -hmm. Sydney, um, you know, instead of uh, wealthy white people walking down the Sydney northern beaches. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And people people are very guilty of, of black and white thinking. You know, people say, well, I don't necessarily agree that there should be mask mandates. So why do you hate, you know, why are you, are you actively trying to stop people from wearing masks? And <laughs> you, know, yeah. that, you can, you know, they, they are not the same thing, funnily enough. And Why do you hate freedom, Trent? Why do you, why why do you, you hate why do freedom? Why do I hate freedom? Indeed, indeed. And, you know, you can make an argument, well, yeah, but we know that unless there's mask mandates, people don't wear them. Yeah, that's true. But, uh, you know, but, people... But on Sydney Public Transport now, there is still a mask mandate and around one in three, one in four are wearing masks from my anecdata from catching trains recently. But we let people smoke and drink and bungee jump. Bungee and, jump. And look, it's not – well, I was going to say it's not entirely the same. I guess if you're bungee jumping, you're not likely to cause any harm to others. But we know that, that motor vehicle accidents call, can potentially cause serious harm to others. Yes. Um, you know, but we, we don't ban cars. Yeah, indeed. They're, they're an essential part of our society and uh, large sections of the economy are – uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Subsidise is the word I'm looking for, boys and girls. Subsidise is the word. Trent, what's your biggest pet gripe about COVID reporting as of August 2022? Uh, continuing to use dial-in experts in the media who have been consistently and repeatedly wrong. Okay. I know you and I both have a list, but Australia's robust defamation laws prevent us from exploring that issue further. And the one thing you'd want people to understand about it all right now? That you will almost certainly get COVID, that if you have done all of the right things to try and protect yourself in you know, getting vaccinated and, uh, you know, minimising the spread to the other to other people who you love, it will almost certainly be a mild self-limiting illness similar to a bad flu and probably not much more than that. That is actually quite a good thing to remember. Well, uh, Dom Perrottet, Premier of New South Wales, will be going for the reduction of the isolation period from seven days to five days. Uh, at the next National Cabinet meeting, that's scheduled for 31st of August, uh, which is this coming Wednesday. Um, wacko.
Uh, time for some uh, housekeeping. Before I get into that, though, I hope you're still with us. This is this is quite a long episode. Uh, uh, Trent and I uh, did have a lovely chat on uh, Wednesday, and then I noticed the time. Oh, good heavens. Um, if you would prefer the podcast to be not this long, um, do let me know. Uh, although, you know, you can just pause them and come back to them later. Um, I might... Do a survey about this, uh, other preferences for the podcast in the very near future. Anyway, I did say I'd update you on some of those figures. So monkeypox cases, uh, these are the figures from New South Wales Health, uh, dated 25th of August. Uh, but bear in mind, it might take a day or two for you know numbers to come into this database. Uh, but on the 25th, there were 106 cases in Australia of monkeypox, confirmed and probable, uh, and that's 52 in Victoria, 43 in New South Wales, 4 in Western Australia, 3 in Queensland, 2 in the Australian Capital Territory, and 2 in South Australia. Uh, I will I will say, people, even talking about the COVID numbers, people often still scream, why aren't they telling us how many people have COVID? It's like, the figures are published every day on the health department's website. What you, you're whinging about is we're not wasting the time of s- sort of senior politicians to stand up at a press con- conference and read them out to you. If you want the numbers, they're just there. Don't, don't be such children. The road deaths figures, um, I've looked them up. There's actually a, a Wikipedia page uh, listing the numbers And this uh, really did surprise me. I got the numbers wrong. The peak for this back in the the 1970s were 3,000, mid-3,000s of people killed on the roads in Australia every year. Biggest number I can immediately see there... Uh, doing the search, in 1970, it was 3,798 people killed. Uh, That's 80 deaths per 100,000 motor vehicles. Those of you into numbers can compare that to the death rate of uh, per 100,000 of other things. Uh, They also have for uh, some years, the more recent years, uh, that figure in road fatalities per 1 billion vehicle kilometres. But yes, so in the 70s, as as I say, getting up towards 4,000 people a year killed every year. Australia's population, I think, has roughly doubled since then. The latest figures on this charter for 2019, it's down to 1,194. So, I mean, as I said earlier, it's still not exactly happy but in the past it was a massive massive amount more of people just killed on the roads quite horrifying on a happier note um i would like to thank you for supporting this series of the podcast. Uh, As you know, uh, this is the final episode of the Winter Series, so thanks to everyone who contributed to the 9pm Winter Series 2022 crowdfunding campaign. That is fabulous. You made all this possible. Uh, Thanks so much. And thank you to all the people who've contributed to the 9pm Spring Series 
2022. The, the, that crowdfunding campaign uh, has just finished. We reached 91% of Target 2, which is great. Not quite as much as last time, but it does mean there will be five special guest episodes uh, through the next season. And uh, we're already starting to line up uh, a few people. Toby Walsh, Professor Toby Walsh, who's heads up the uh, the Artificial Intelligence Institute at the University of New South Wales. That institute actually opens uh, or is launched in a, in a couple of weeks' time. I met him recently. He's delightfully mad. Uh, he's one of the world's leading thinkers about artificial intelligence and the ethics of it. Thoroughly going to enjoy that chat with him. Still chasing Umer Hack, the the uh, economist slash doomsayer slash disco producer. Um, I, I just think his world's a bit chaotic at the moment. We'll get him. We'll get him. Should do that one on submarines sometime too. Anyway, the, I will tell you more about that uh, as I start penciling in the guests. And in fact, I will do a survey of you. Uh, so I'll tell you what, in the next couple of weeks, I'll do a solo episode of the podcast. I'll talk about the survey. I'll talk about what's coming up. I'll talk about what's happening in politics. Uh, I'll tell some foul jokes. I I will create some uh, mental imagery that you will find disturbing. If you would like to be one of the wonderful people who supports these activities, please go to the 9pmedict.com slash tip, the 9pmedict.com slash tip. If you do that in the next few days, that would be lovely as we start the new season. Um, And that's all you need to know. Um, So uh, refresh your drinks and uh, we'll go back to uh, Dr Trent Yarwood. Now, yes, that is the, uh, well, the glass bowl of transparency because I'm down in Sydney rather than up in the mountains, so the glass jar was left there. Uh, These are the trigger words, as regular listeners uh, know. Uh, These are folded up pieces of paper. Each one contains a word sent in by a supporter in the hope that it'll trigger a conversation. But first, Trent, Dr. Trent, there's one been sent in especially for you. And it's from Justin Warren, friend of the pod. He was on the other week. Backpackers. Yes, well, first I must uh, regretfully announce that I have let Justin get one up on me in our uh, (laughs) guerrilla war, which we are fighting via your glass jar of transparency by trying to be incredibly obnoxious to each other, sending triggering trigger words. Um, I should get you both on at the same time. We should do that. Justin is officially a very good egg, and, I, and I'm sure we would both enjoy that very much. Um, so this relates to an anecdote which I have related to Justin in the past and um, which, sadly, I can't do full justice to, but I will give it my best crack. Um, so as I mentioned, I'm, I'm working in the sexual health clinic in the health service that I work at at the moment. I have a, a long-standing interest in HIV medicine, but I also... Know, don't don't mind a bit doing a bit of all of the rest of sexual health. Um, Brackets. I will just say, HIV medicine is absolutely fascinating. And mm. putting aside the fact that it fucks up people's lives. Brackets. I'm two brackets down. Brackets less so than before. If you're in a wealthy nation. Brackets. In bra- 
Brett yep. close off all the brackets. Um, it's a fascinating little virus. It is, and look, that's part of what I like about it, to be honest. Very, very interesting uh, to this. Anyway, um, so uh, people who have been paying attention will also know that I live in Cairns, which uh, is, funnily enough, a bit of a tourist centre. And uh, far north Queensland, for those of you overseas, or 2% of you. <laughs> and um, unsurprisingly, working in a sexual health clinic in a tourist town, a, a moderately <laughs> significant proportion of our caseload are backpackers. Mm. And, um, you know, there are the aforementioned tea room tables include all sorts of other broad and, and sweeping stereotypes about the sexual proclivities of backpackers. But um, a number of years ago, we had a, a medical student working in our clinic who decided to put this issue to bed no, <laughs> um, once and for right all. Um, and he went down to our local largest backpacker and uh, backpackers sort of hostel and stood around asking meds, uh, asking backpackers if they would talk about their sex lives. Right. And um, this is actually the same sort of stuff that the HIV/AIDS medicine community is well. Uh, experienced in doing through the uh, gay and bisexual and MSM community, which is not mainstream media, dear listener, but men who have sex with men because many of them do not identify as gay or bisexual. But, uh, yes, these surveys are fascinating, but go on. Well, as I said, I can't do justice to it because I can't remember the exact figures, but the I guess the long and the short of it is that backpackers don't have as much sex as we all think they do. Um, oh. that a, a very small number of, well, a moderately small number of backpackers uh, basically <laughs> have a disproportionately fuck, large like, amount of fuck sex. like bunnies in the dorms and that that brings <laughs> the average up and that uh, ah. a, a number of backpackers are actually more interested in travelling than they are rooting their peers. Bonking. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and there were also Just quietly, the same thing happens in these surveys of gay men's sexual experiences, Absolutely. you know, and, and although I do have friends who when they do the thing is have you, you know, how many sexual partners have you had and is it one, two, three to five, six to yep. ten, you know, et cetera, up to 50 and it's like, so so is that this week or this month? And like, no, this is, no, no, ever. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a power curve for those oh. into mathematics. Indeed, indeed. Um <laughs> Yes. So anyway, backpackers don't have as much sex as we think they do. And um, I, I can't remember what were probably the most interesting findings, which was what who they like having sex with. And it was, um, you know, I think European women are more likely to like Australian blokes. And, and yeah, so anyway, there were all those sort of findings. And it this was, is fantastic. Research. It is. And, and damn, Justin, for, for using it as a trigger word, but I can't actually give you the, the meat and potatoes of the finding because it was, it was very interesting. I want to know more, especially. I mean, this wasn't a formal study either. This was just. Oh well, it, it got ethics approval, and you know we. Oh, okay. Oh, we, okay. we offered um, we offered incentive payments for them to participate. Yeah. Well, we you know we, they um, they wanted to give give bar tabs at the at the backpackers, but that was considered to be a, a sort of a a bit too far. However, this backpackers has a very large pub and nightclub in it and they were being given cash I instead. I know, so the, I, oh, I know the one. I've been to kids. I, I think I know the one. Yeah. 
thank you, Justin Warren, for being helpful. Okay, let, let I, I I now have so many questions which I know you can't answer. Um, right, let's get one from the jar uh, bowl thing. Okay, this one comes from uh, a regular generous uh, supporter of the pod, Peter Levert Inc., and it is accountability. Ooh. Ooh. Well, look, I, you know, I could be a complete one-track one sort of monodimensional nerd and talk about, you know, COVID royal commissions and accountability for response because I something I think that there does need to be. But, that, you know, that's really boring. We I mean, you about, could. Hey, speaking of accountability, though, do you reckon ScoMo is going to get sacked? Oh. Well, it's up to him. Mm. The parliament itself cannot unelect a member of parliament. Indeed. Scott Morrison was duly elected by the people of the Division of Cook and... And quite frankly, if we start getting to a point where Parliament can eject members of Parliament on a political basis, that's a very dangerous path to go down. Indeed. Now, if he is convicted of a crime... The Solicitor General said today that nothing illegal was done, So, but it was... That it was, was in fact it. And what it was is interesting... Fuck. Yeah. What is interesting is that... Prime Minister Anthony Albanese gave the Solicitor General a very clear question which could have been answered with one word. Was the appointment of Scott Morrison as the Minister for blah, 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 resources, etc., which led to the kind of gas exploration thing, was that legal? Now, the Solicitor General could have easily just said yes, and left it there. But instead, he came back with, yes, but, and here's 26 pages of reasoning why this was a bad thing. Yeah. So that I find absolutely fascinating. And Scott Morrison, even though he's arguably our first Gen X Prime Minister, did the boomer thing and is just replying to comments on Facebook with lengthy lengthy justifications. Um. Parliament comes back in uh, from the time this gets posted, a bit over a week, Monday the 5th of September. I've just been a bit distracted while you were answering that question because I've just found the Backpacker Sex Study. My my boss at Sexual I sent him a text message oh, before. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. Please, please. Okay, excellent. <laughs> Tell me more. Um, <sighs> There's the title for this podcast. <laughs> the 9pm Infection Backpacker Sex Study. Oh dear! Um, right, so uh, look, this is this is actually quite boring, and you should you should um, link to it on the pod uh, on, the, oh, right. on the notes page. But uh, so the the categories for there's number of sexual partners prior to travel, number of new sexual partners in Australia, and number of new sexual partners in Cairns. Okay, uh, these are good questions. I have so, worked on the design of these questions before. So prior, dear to listener, I have a strange life. <laughs> um, prior to travel. Zero, three percent. One, twenty-one percent. Two okay. to five, forty-two percent, and okay, great, yep. greater than six, thirty-three percent. So that's bef- and these that's are before they left their, we, yeah, yeah, before they left their country of origin. Yeah. 
Um, okay. Number of new sexual partners in Australia, zero, 21%. Okay. What, one, 19.4%. Uh, two to five, 32.6%. And greater than six, 26.4%. They're actually higher numbers than I would have thought and and then I would have guessed from your comments earlier. Mm-hmm. And um, number of new sexual partners in Cairns, zero, 56%, one, 20%, two to five, 15%, and greater than six, 7%. Um, greater than six in Cairns alone, that is... That's quite okay, seven percent, but that's quite a yeah. quite an effort. Um, I mean, I should say that backpackers stay in a place generally longer than your average older tourist. Your average older tourist will have like at most probably a week, probably three days, two days, yeah. you know, as part of a seven day package tour. Whereas backpackers will stay for weeks to months. Yeah, that's right. Thank okay. you. I'll um I'll send you the the link for the text so you can link to it on the um on the page and and people can read it Fantastic. themselves. Fantastic, and thank you, Peter Leverding, <laughs> for that wonderful journey into accountability. Let's do one more. I mean, fuck the running sheet. Fuck our plan to talk about serious things. The trigger words work, people. Go to the 9pmedict.com slash tip and you can get one. What the fuck? (laughs) What the fuck? Mick Fong up in Broome. Hi, Mick. Has has provided the word Jim, J-I-M. I work with Jim. He's a very good bloke. Okay. I, I think Mick Fong is probably expecting something a bit longer than this um, <laughs> <laughs> for his money. Um, I, the thing that jumped into my mind, this is bizarre, but Jim, I, I came into with James T. Kirk, the oh, captain yes. of the Starship Enterprise in the original um, um, Star Trek series played by the the wonderful Canadian actor and indeed over actor Bill Shatner. <laughs> um, what does this do for me? Here's a thing. Here's a thing. Here's a thing. All right, I am old enough ish. No, I can't say that I saw the original Star Trek series as a thing because the original Star Trek series was 1966 to 1968, and no, that that was not a thing. But, of course, it kept getting repeated. And when people say Star Trek, I think that. And there's been so many other things in the extended cinematic universe of Star Trek and its TV series and its animated sub-series and whatever that I've not seen because... Just quietly, dear listener, I'm not really into that genre. Um, which I know for someone who is a geek, that is that is sacrilege. Um, but I do love the fact that Bill Shatner like did other things, and I would like people to explore the other things William Shatner has done. Okay, this Boston Legal. 
sure, which he overacts and he does do Klingon jokes and his mobile phone is a 1990s flip phone and when he opens it, it makes a Star Trek communicator noise. So <laughs> there's all of that. Um, but he also did a wonderful, uh, one of the, the classic The Twilight Zone episodes where he's a guy on an airliner at night and he sees some goblin thing out on the wing of the plane, but he's the only one who can see it. Um, That sounds interesting. And it becomes the whole thing. And Shatner plays that. Um, That is is my little journey about Jim. Where's yours, Trent? I don't know that I have any other particular... Jim stories. Let's go to GYM then. I don't have any of those stories either. <laughs> <laughs> I can see. Um, <laughs> oh, I'm wounded. I'm slain. Uh, so thank you, Mick Fong, <laughs> for, for Jim. This podcast is ridiculous. Dr. Trent Yarwood, do you like dinosaurs? Oh, everyone likes dinosaurs, don't they? And hello oh, to Upali Devrasekra, who oh, had yes. joined us on previous pods but couldn't be here this time. We miss you. I know, I know. Uh, we'll we'll get her back on. I, I did, in fact, uh, the clip I'm about to play, I sent it to her on, on Twitter um, a couple of hours ago and said, you will learn things from this, Oopily. And she replied, nice try, but I'm not watching it. <laughs> so so here is a clip. It comes to me via the Twitter account Cooker Watch. Uh, uh, here is a chat. I don't know who this guy is, uh, but he believes we have been fooled by a giant hoax. Okay, let's talk about dinosaurs. There's no such thing as fossil fuel. People always say, why would they lie? Why would they lie? Well, let's start off with, uh, they, they said that oil comes from dinosaur bones. And a lot of people don't believe me that that's what people used to say. It's the reason it's called fossil fuel is that uh, 66, notice the numbers. I'm not a numeral. I don't believe in the number stuff, but they do. 66 million years ago, the dinosaurs were wiped out um, and sore. Uh, Soros means lizard. George Soros, 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 dinosaurs, Soros, lizard. Not a coincidence, guys. So, um, all, and all of their decaying, rotting flesh and bones became oil. Do you guys know how many uh, intact dinosaur bones have ever been found? Class? None. Do you know how many uh, dinosaur skulls have ever been found? Class? None. They've all been speculated based on a tooth. We'll get into the bones very soon, but this is a, a, a fact that there are exactly zero total intact dinosaur bones. Oh, big bad. They might be missing one. There's zero skulls. Um, petrification and, um, and fossil, fossil, like fossils don't even make sense. Yeah, there are fossils, but well, you know, we know we know how old that layer of sediment is because of the fossils that were in it, and we know how old the fossils that were in it because of the uh, layer of sediment. 
That's called circular reasoning. And if you have a basic non-graveled education, you can spot it like that. They, they know how, oh, this layer, this layer of rock is one million years old. So that means that these fossils are one million years old. How do you know that layer of rock is a million years old? Because the fossils in it were, are one million years old. I thought you said that, that that's how you know how old the fossils are. It's a beautiful circle of nonsense. Uh, dinosaurs went extinct because they all got AIDS. Right. Okay. So I'm going to show you guys so that you, when people call you stupid, you can just go. <sighs> <sighs> yeah. Um, <sighs> wow. Just wow. And big, yeah, just, a, big, a big hello to George Dinosaurus, who I'm sure is a listener George of your podcast. <laughs> that is beautiful. Someone, someone tweeted at me when I, I tweeted that before. Uh, and they said, um, Saurus saw us. Oh, they saw us. Saw us. <laughs> George saw us. <laughs> Oh my goodness! Wow, <laughs> just wow! Now, I think we have to publicly acknowledge that our, you know, if you're an old nerd and you had that idea that the internet was going to democratize knowledge, that we have all failed and we should just shut it down and turn everything off. <laughs> no, I think it has because we've given it over to people, and people are fucked, and many people are idiots. I mean. It is all right. We're we're being smug elite, you know. Indeed, We've indeed. both had some sort of tertiary education. You actually finished yours, and 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 we think we know things. But you know, here's a guy who, as he said, he's had a basic education and knows that we're fooling him. Now, Trent. I know what you're saying. You're saying I've seen dinosaur bones. You've seen whole dinosaur skeletons in museums, right? Indeed, I have. Well, you're wrong. Oh, dear. They invent a whole story that's nonsense. Those bones right there, those aren't real bones. Those are chicken bones ground up and put together based on nonsense. I, I mean, they are, Of right? course they are. Dinosaurs, chickens, same, same. Everyone's been saying that for ages. <laughs> On <laughs> thank you to the Twitter account um, Cooker Watch for that. I I want to find that bloke. I want to watch those live streams because they're just grabs from a live stream. On a more serious note, here is a reassuring report from Fox Eleven, Los Angeles. It was the coronavirus, then monkeypox, and tonight we are learning more about the Levy virus. At least 35 people have been infected with it, all in China. Symptoms include fatigue, cough, loss of appetite, but as well as kidney and liver failures. Researchers believe small mice-like mammals called shrews are carriers of this virus and that the infected patients had recently been in contact with the animals. Here's a look at those shrews. Now, prior to this outbreak, the virus had never infected humans. And as of right now, there's no evidence, though, of person-to-person -person spread. That's great news. And the infectious disease specialist I spoke to today says Levy is not cause for alarm. 
things I love about that is, A, Fox 11 LA is saying no cause for alarm, which is totally off-brand for them. But the other one is, like, let's just check out those shrews. (laughs) Americans clearly don't know what shrews are. So um, that is the thing. This is the Lanyaheniparavirus, Heniparavirus. How do you pronounce this stuff? Do you know? Henipa, so it's a combination of Hendra and Nipa, which are the two viruses that were previously described in that in that genus. Okay, and according to the uh, the piece from the conversation that I've linked to in the notes, uh, it's suspected to have caused infections in thirty five people in China's Shandong and Henan provinces over uh, a couple of years, uh, and we don't know much about it. So again, time to well. Time to panic. 35 people out of 1.4 billion people in China, the case per 100,000 rate is effectively zero. So I should not worry? Uh, oh, look, I'm not particularly worried. Um, the the important thing about this, though, is that this is another example of what we call an emerging infectious disease. Like Just like mm-hmm. COVID is, just like SARS was, just like MERS was, just like you know, all the different variant flus are. And what we're seeing is that these disease emergence events are happening more frequently. So we're seeing more... And so how we define an emerging infection is one that is newly described, that is infecting different species than it used to, that is spreading across a larger geographic range than it used to, or is, you know, is otherwise um, causing more problems than it used to. And... What we see is that these viral emergence events are happening more and more frequently. And most of the viruses fizzle out and don't go anywhere. Some of them do not a bad job if you're a, if you're a virus, for example, COVID. Um, <laughs> oh, oh, hail COVID. Excellent yeah. work. Solid viral work. Yeah, five-star virusing. Um, so what is the what is the issue that's causing these viral emergences to happen? Well, it's people. So the, there's all of the- <laughs> Well, this comes back to something I've suggested on the podcast before, which is just get rid of people. Mm, yes, um, you can link to Justin's human ruin, Humans Ruining Everything Since Forever stickers. <laughs> stickers, absolutely. Um, so these viruses start off in animals, so in this case shrews, um, in, well, COVID. I, I'm not, not sure where the- um, what the current thinking about COVID is and that skunks or civets or something like that, um, uh, you, you know. But we have narrowed it down to like literally a few square metres in mm. the particular market. And I don't want to say wet market because, quite frankly, the fish market down in yeah. Sydney is a wet market. Absolutely. So Absolutely. calling things wet markets is a little bit racist, dear listener. Indeed. And so what happens is humans come into contact with these animals in ways that they didn't used to come in contact with them before. And so viral emergence events like, you know, Ebola, for example, happens when a virus that's in a monkey in a forest, the monkeys come in contact with humans who are slashing the forest to build their, you know, to plant their palm oil plantations because capitalism, yay. Um, Mm -hmm. And there's increased opportunity for exchange of viruses between 
animals and humans where there wasn't previously. And then just every now and again, by pure random chance, the virus manages to do something to a human where normally we wouldn't, wouldn't have been affected by it or we just would have been a dead-end host. And so by, you know, if you think about why do, why do most viruses seem to be emerging in China? Well, it's because there's a fuckload of people in China. 1.4 billion people, yeah. And because they are growing very rapidly and they're pushing the boundaries out and, you know, into all the sort of the rural areas, they're becoming more and more developed and they're building more farms and they're cutting down more trees and there's more interaction between these humans and these animals. How much of this stuff are we becoming aware of just because we happen to be looking for it? And, and I say that because... 20 years ago, 35 farm workers in Shandong dying of some random thing, we would have never known about it. Exactly. And now we do, and the Chinese health authorities go, oh, my fucking God, let's go in there and and grab some blood samples. Yeah. I should say, I said they died. No one has actually died. (laughs) Just to be very clear, which which is even less of a reason to panic, right? Yeah, and I think I think what you just said applies even more so for the general public. Like, you know, uh, 30 people getting some niche animal virus that caused no fatalities would have been uh, like a, a four-line email on this inter- international mailing list called ProMed, which is called the, Pro- the Project for Monitoring Emerging Diseases that, you know, all infection doctors and microbiologists sign up to and you like they they basically scan news for stories of, of outbreaks and everyone goes oh yeah look mm. new, new virus somewhere okay we'll, we'll keep an eye on that but now it gets reported on fox radio fox with, 11 yeah, fox with, 11 with, in with illustrated Angeles, pictures yeah. of shrews and everyone's going oh my god oh my god so corona and monkeypox and now there's this new virus and like you know nobody would have given a shit about that five years ago and no one should give a shit now. I mean, that's the that's the thing. It's all sorts of threats. And I remember that with shark attacks, of course. A shark attack happens, and then for the next six months, everything involving sharks suddenly becomes, mm. you know, on the radar for journalists. Yep. And now it's a, it's a plague of sharks. It's a spate of shark attacks. You go, well, no, they're, they're just random events that happen, and a couple of them happen to be clustered this summer, but... So what? Yeah. And look, I can confidently predict that one day, again, in the future, there will be another pandemic. But equally... There will, <laughs> that the, is a, a bold <laughs> prediction. Yes, but yes, yes. equally, between now and then, there will be a lot of little viral emergence events that go precisely nowhere. Maybe maybe we so should your, all stay your locked message, up. Maybe oh, we should, should we stay locked up? This is like the, the boy in the bubble scenario again is. That we we might have something bad happen, therefore we should lock ourselves up in our in our little fallout shelters with, with HEPA filters and everything yep. else in case something happens. Dear listener, you're gonna die of fucking diabetes. Let, Absolutely. <laughs> you know, Absolutely. That is what is going to happen. You'll die heart of diabetes, disease, diabetes or heart disease. My GP keeps telling me, you know, drink less, move more, get some fucking exercise, stop eating so much. Yep. Stop All being male and old. <laughs> yeah. Those ones I are a bit more difficult. The last two. bit more difficult to influence in medical practice, unfortunately, those two. <laughs> that's, that's right, but... These are the things, and so even though COVID has been an increased cause of death in the last couple of years, that I mean, that's going to go, isn't it? It, it is, but or the it? 
Yeah. No, no, no. It will, well, there's. Well, it already has. We've got better at treating it. We have vaccines. And that was actually my last my last question here. We have just had a nasty global pandemic. I mean, we're still in it, but it's changed character and it's now become a pandemic of poor brown people as opposed to rich white people. Um, we're now going to be jumping at shadows, but we also, as humans, developed amazing new vaccines in two years. I mean, mRNA vaccines just blow my mind about how they work. Uh, I know people who are alive today because of them. Maybe maybe I'm one of them that's alive today because of them, because I am male and older and overweight and have, you know, sleep apnea and, you know, it probably could well have wiped me out. Can we rely on that being the process now? Probably not. I don't think we should rely on it, but I think we should reflect on how much, um, you know, on the advances that we've made because of where we are now. Like if you think, you know, huge advances in surgery happen around the time of war because surgeons get better at fixing bits that get blown off. And, um, you know, huge advances in our understanding of infection are going to happen because of the pandemic now and huge developments in how we treat or prevent infection. As you say, the mRNA vaccines are amazing and theoretically we should be able to use that same technology to spin up the whole next series of vaccines that we need for whatever we need them for. So, look, it's been it's been shit and we absolutely want to try and prevent people from getting sick and dying. But Ideally, yeah. I, ideally. Good. Well, no, I don't. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as a doctor, you should think about that. That is that is generally what I try to do. Um, uh, but, you know, it could be worse. I think about this in terms of my own life, as we all do. My father died when he was 43 years old from a duodenal ulcer. Mm-hmm. So like a stomach ulcer, except in the duodenum, which is a little bit trickier to deal with. And he died. And that was in 1971. Now, today, there's two things you could do. One is, the first developed was a, a, a plastic artificial duodenum. So the, you just replace that bit of the tube out of the stomach where the uh, fluids from the pancreas and the liver and other things come through, and you replace the ulcerated part of the body. But as we know now, due to an amazing Australian chap and a Nobel Prize winner, we know that that, that's just a bacterial infection. So the treatment now for that is not this whole complex thing and you may die, whatever. It's just a quick course of antibiotics. You'll be fine. Do I feel bitter about that? Of course not. He was treated by the best medical knowledge of his time. And that was only within my lifetime. But now, now of course he wouldn't have died from that. He, he would have been a bit crook for a few weeks and then sorted. Yeah. And yeah. now we're at another phase of that. Look, you know, it's the old it's the old medical student trope that 50% of what we're teaching you now is wrong, but we don't know which 50% it is. <laughs> exactly. And what I love about this podcast, Dr. Trent, is that at least 50% of this is all wrong. And I'm looking forward <laughs> to to history telling us where we've screwed this up. That's fabulous to talk to you. Thank you for joining me. My pleasure, as always.
Finally, dear listener, the section of the podcast, uh, which is rapidly becoming an errata section, <laughs> at least 50% of the things in this podcast are wrong. Firstly, it just occurred to me while editing this that when Mick Fong suggested the trigger word Jim, he was probably referring to our friend Jim Campbell on Twitter as just Jim will do. And that was another troll suggestion, and I completely missed it. So sorry, Mick. I'll uh, I'll make up for that in some way. Uh, and secondly, um, uh, Scott Morrison and whether he's done something illegal. I thought I'd better actually check the Constitution and go: Can Scott Morrison be removed from Parliament because reasons? And the answer is yes, he can. I was pretty pretty close to it when I said that you know maybe if he's committed a crime. Uh, he can be chucked out, and that is in in fact the case. Good old section forty four of the Australian Constitution. You'll remember that forty four brackets one uh, is all about whether you're a subject of a foreign power and whatever. And we had uh, difficulties a few years ago when it, we discovered that a, a number of members of Parliament and senators were in fact citizens of another country as well as citizens of Australia and were therefore chucked out, or they resigned and whatever. Section 44.2 says that someone is uh, not eligible to, to be in Parliament if they are, and I quote, attainted of treason or has been convicted and is under sentence or subject to be sentenced for any offence punishable under the law of the Commonwealth or of a state by imprisonment for one year or longer. So that's pretty queer, uh, pretty clear, pretty queer, good heavens. Um, the question, though, is whether Scott Morrison has done something that is uh, simply unconstitutional. Uh, I, I mean, there's no, there's no jail penalty, penalty for that, is there? I mean, would he be chucked out of a parliament because of that? Uh, that's that's the interesting question. Um, so the High Court is very definitely going to have an interesting time. That's all the edict for now. If you would like to support this podcast, please go to the9pmedict.com slash tip. All of the instructions and details are there. The next episode of this podcast uh, will be the first in the spring series. That'll be in a week or two. Until then, I'm still Garyan. Wash your hands. The 9pm Edict is a Skank Media production. Sorry.